Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Stocks in the U.S. advance with the dollar as crude oil rebounds. Amazon quarterly profits top estimates and Alibaba misses estimates. It also deepens its feud with Chinese regulators. Is your post-holiday detox program giving you value for money? This is what we'll look at today on our Focus Friday segment on Money for Nothing. We'll compare the value of detox program programs offered by companies here in Hong Kong. We'll also look at how big of a year it's been for uh, mergers and acquisitions in China. Last year that was, and uh, what's the outlook for this year, 2015? Our guests today include Melanie Barnish and Zachary Williams, who are the owners of Genie Juices and Body Awakening, respectively, and also David Brown of PwC. Richard Harris is back as guest host. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. So, Richard, a rally after a two-day rout. Yes, well, it's it's one of these times in the market where I don't think that there's really a lot of direction. So the market's picking up. One day it's Greece, the next day it's maybe the oil price falls. So you get two days down and then one day up as it, as it uh, sort of recovers. So I think we're probably going to see that for a while until a bigger piece of news comes in to sweep all that away. Indeed, an upturn in oil prices and a rally in Apple and Boeing shares helped Wall Street offset the disappointing earnings from Alibaba and lingering questions over U.S. monetary policy. U.S. stocks staged a late rally to push the Dow 225 points higher to 17,416. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq also gained around 1% each to close at uh, 2,021 and 4,683 respectively. Crude oil rallied, the dollar climbed, and treasuries slid. So, Richard, can you bring us up to date on the main market drivers? Well, I think the drivers at the moment are certainly earnings. Earnings coming out of the U.S. You know, they're looked at very keenly uh, every quarter whenever they come out. And uh, amazingly, over the last two or three years, they've pretty well, to an earnings figure, been good. Um, This year, we're starting to see them tail off a bit, though. But uh, it's sort of a relief to hear that people are actually looking at earnings as opposed to just, you know, policy action by central banks. Well, that's right. Well, but you also get this seasonal thing where the policy action comes in and the market looks at that. Are interest rates going to be cut? Are they going to be raised? Um, and then the earnings season coming in because that gives people uh, some kind of forward guidance to the future. It's not just are the earnings better than expected or worse than expected, but very often when the chairman in their reports give guidance for what's happening in the future, that's what the markets tend to want to hang on to. Yeah, well, we're going to definitely be looking at earnings of, you know, some of the companies uh, that have released news. Now, one question before, you know, we go there, however, you know, the VIX uh, fell 8% after jumping 32% in the previous two days. How should we read this? Well, the VIX is typically quite a volatile measure, certainly in terms of percentages. It's, it's more of an index level. And uh, typically, it's, uh, it's a worry index. It goes up when markets are a little bit worried and it comes down uh, the other way. Uh, and of course, after the election in Greece, nobody quite knows what happens. So you tend to get an increase of volatility then. But uh, it tends to be more of a lagging indicator. It's a nice thing to look at to say, yes, we're in a period of people are worried about risk or not. Uh, but it's still more of a lagging indicator than something we should worry about uh, f- as a future guide. 
All right, so investors have punished Alibaba shares after it posted weaker-than-expected sales growth. The e-commerce giant's share price closed down 8.8% in New York after being down almost 11% at one point during the day. The online uh, shopping platform yesterday posted a 40% jump in sales to 4.2 billion US dollars, missing, however, the 4.45 billion that analysts were expecting. And net profit for the December quarter plunged 28% to 964 million dollars. It's been a tough week for Alibaba, which was criticized by the state administration for, uh, you know, after an SAIC survey found that uh, about only a third of the products sampled were genuine. Joe Tsai is Alibaba's co-founder and vice chairman. and He talks about the company's earnings. We had a very good quarter. If you look at the growth and look at the metrics that we really focus on, uh, it's the GNV and active buyers. On a GNV basis, during this quarter, we grew 49%, uh, and uh, we now have uh, 334 million active buyers uh, on our platform. Uh, these are consumers that are coming to our platform day in and day out uh, to buy things online. Uh, so we're very happy with that result. Uh, it, on a net ad basis uh, this quarter, we added 27 million new active buyers. Uh, and a lot of that is driven by uh, the user engagement uh, and uh, activity on the mobile platform. The feud with Chinese regulators poses a huge risk, however, to investors. Joe Tsai has dismissed the government report as flawed, and he uh, has threatened to make a formal complaint. But the question is, what is Alibaba doing then to combat fraud on its online marketplaces? The underlying issue uh, is an issue that we take very seriously. Uh, Alibaba runs uh, retail platforms that trade $370 billion a year on a last 12-month basis. That's a lot of uh, transactions. Uh, So in a way, we very much reflect uh, a very significant part of the retail economy in China. Uh, The issue of uh, fake products, counterfeit uh, products are... Uh, uh, really, a matter for uh, the whole, all the participants uh, in the economy to solve. Uh, they involve both online efforts and offline efforts. Uh, and we, let me just say this: uh, you know, for us, there's nothing that's more important than the trust that consumers have in our platform. That means they uh, should feel comfortable to come to our platform to buy things and 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 trust that uh, our vendors are selling them high quality goods. Uh, so we take a, a, a very draconian approach toward counterfeits. We've spent a lot of resources and money and people uh, to uh, combat this problem. Uh, we've worked with law enforcement of, uh, uh, agencies uh, uh, to uh, actually shut down factories and warehouses that make uh, uh, counterfeit products and put people in jail. So we are, uh, we are doing as much as we can on this issue. So, Richard, uh, he says that, yeah, they aren't guilty. What do you make of his words? Well, it's a nice little spat developing. It's not often that a Chinese company will actually look to take on a Chinese regulator, but it's developing in, in quite a nice, juicy way. I mean, Alibaba, well, at one time on their website, talked about SAIC being a, and I quote, a crooked referee. Uh, and there's also a story in the Post this morning that says that um, uh, reports of minutes within SAIC uh, 
apparently a senior official was uh, claimed to say that they want to try and attack Alibaba as much as possible uh, on the basis of the fact that people in Alibaba own so much more than people within the regulators. So it's a juicy little spat going, quite unusual, and I think it's part of a sign of China growing up and starting to really see what it's like to accommodate private companies. So is that the case? Is it China growing up or is it China just annoyed that Alibaba decided to go abroad to list? Well, I'm not so sure it's going abroad to list, but clearly that's going to maybe rankle a little bit. But hey, if you're a company and you want to list, you go where the money is. Um, but I think there's maybe an attempt by the Chinese authorities to try and bring Alibaba a little bit more into line. And it's very interesting that we're seeing some pushback. Indeed. And speaking of companies who are going where the money is, Amazon surprised investors with a profit of 214 million US dollars for the December quarter. And uh, this is after two two consecutive losing quarters. Sales jumped 15% to $29.3 billion, fueling a rise of 7% in after-hours trading. Here's Michael Pachter of Wedbush Securities. The point is here that they've shown that they can control spending, and that's always been the story. I I think no one ever has questioned that they're going to grow the top line. No one's ever questioned they're going to see increasing margin, but everybody's wondered what are they going to spend money on next. And, you know, they, they delivered. I mean, they actually spent about $250 million less in OPEX than I had modeled, and that's all of the upside. Uh, they didn't guide to a big number, so I'm actually surprised the stock's up as much. But they've shown that they can control spending, and they've shown that they have an inclination to do so when the share price is down. So I think the stock will probably work for a bit until they do something that we don't like. And Google reported that fourth quarter pro- uh, profit jumped 41% to $4.76 billion, and revenue jumped 15% to $18 billion. But the result was weaker than expected, and Google shares fell 1.7% in after-hours trading. Richard, have we covered it all? Or no, there's some more McJuicy stories, right? Yes, there are. The McDonald's, of course, have got a new CEO called Steve uh, Easterbrook. He's, he's a Brit. He comes from Watford and is a football supporter. But more importantly, he was actually uh, head of the European division when he was not doing particularly well and turned it round. So I think there's quite a lot of optimism within the company uh, about what he can do. And why is that? Well, McDonald's has been flagging uh, a little bit in certain areas. Uh, uh, to be honest, they have for a long time, and but they have continued to uh, try and bring a slightly more healthier foods, the McCafe brand. They bought a number, number of other brands like Pret. Uh, so they are moving. But with such a company with such, uh, if you like, penetration into the market, it's always quite difficult to keep the growth going. Yeah, we have some uh, healthier brands uh, guests on our show later this morning. I sort of wonder what's going through their head as they listen to this. Um, okay, so Li Ka-shing has overhauled his vast business empire, resulting in $47.7 billion worth of M&A. And since then, he's followed up with three overseas bids, including the recent $15.4 billion bid for Telefonica's British O2 unit. This uh, hectic start, hectic start to 2015 has meant record Asia M&A loan and equity deals so far this month. But uh, the question is, what are the trends overall? In China, mergers and acquisitions activity reached record highs last year, both in terms of the number of deals and in terms of their total value. So let's bring in David Brown of PwC China and Hong Kong Transaction Services. Uh, He joins us now to tell us more. Good morning, David. Hi, good morning. So, David, uh, which sectors would you say showed the most promise in 2014? 
Well, it's very, it's very broad, actually. Um, and if you look at the M&A activity, you mentioned uh, record levels of uh, M&A. Uh, actually, the, the China M&A in 2014 grew by 55% in volume terms, by 55% also in dollar terms. Uh, they are uh, quite extraordinary numbers, actually. We've been surveying the M&A for, for many years now, and we've never seen growth at, uh, that, at that kind of level. So if you, if you look at what's driving it all, what's, what's causing that growth to happen, you've really got something of a, of a perfect storm, I think, for China M&A. So you have, uh, for example, you have a slowing economy in China, so companies are looking for M&A as a source of inorganic growth. Um, you have uh, industry consolidation, excess capacity, competitive capacity being squeezed out through M&A. Um, you have the state-owned enterprise reforms, which is a source of some of the, the larger transactions that we've been seeing. Um, you've got China outbound M&A, led by the private sector largely, often going overseas to find technologies, uh, brands, IP know-how, bringing them back and putting them to use in the China market. Um, and you've got a very active private equity industry, um, a trend towards larger size buyer transactions. You've got uh, private equity involvement in the outbound M&E, which for the first time I think we, we're seeing this. But David, with all of these uh, moves here, we, we've seen a big uh, rise this year. Chinese economy is slowing, and that often encourages M&E. But are we likely to see this kind of growth moving at the same pace, especially if cash is rather limited? No, I think actually I would, I would say on the contrary, I expect the pace to increase, if anything. Um, there, there is, I mean, fundamentally, I think, a shortage of equity capital in China. Uh, very difficult for companies sourcing capital to grow. It's difficult from the banks, especially if you're not in the state sector. Equity markets are very difficult. Private equity now has emerged as, a, as a, a, an important provider of equity capital to, the, to, to Chinese companies for growth. So there's this need for growth. There's this need for industry consolidation. All of these trends that I've talked about, actually, I think are continuing so, trends. So, so we're going to see them continue through. And what about sectors? Are there any particular sectors uh, that are consolidating? It's, qu it's quite broad, uh, but the, the sectors that are hot for M&A, uh, technology, you spoke to be, you've spoken already about Alibaba. They're very active on the M&A scene, uh, so technology is pretty hot. Uh, re, uh, retail and consumer, which is kind of around, you know, following the direction of the Chinese economy more broadly. Uh, real estate is a hot sector. Uh, financial services, quite a lot of activity in financial services, in particular small and medium enterprise lending, uh, and also healthcare. Uh, a lot of interest in doing deals around healthcare, although, although perhaps difficult to find good investment. And what's in the position for foreign companies looking to take part in this uh, M&A binge? Is there, uh, because there's always been a lot of talk that it's difficult for foreign companies to penetrate this market? Well, the foreign companies, by and large, are here already. It was actually it was also a record year in dollar terms for foreign inbound M&A in China. But I think what you're seeing more with the foreign companies is that they are looking at their, uh, you know, the, how they how they are set up in China currently, and and working out whether that is the right strategy for them. And you're seeing some changes within China involving the foreign companies in terms of how they do business in. In China, so for, you know, an example of that is the, the Tesco CRE deal that we saw earlier in the year, where Tesco merged their supermarket operations with a, a big Chinese operator. So you're okay. seeing this kind of uh, transaction, I think, involving the foreign players. Yeah, David. Unfortunately, we need to wrap up the sec uh, segment. So, in 20 seconds or less, can you tell us what you are looking at this year? 
Uh, in 20 seconds or less, continuing strong growth. I think the big headline is the outbound stuff. The outbound, uh, I think, it should double from where it is now within a shortish period of time. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is David Brown, and he is with a PwC. Um, he is a PwC China and Hong Kong's uh, transaction services leader. It's crunch time to achieve universal suffrage. We have to quickly seize opportunities to boost economic development. And there's much to do on livelihood issues. The chief executive's 2015 policy address has unveiled a range of measures to pursue democracy, boost the economy, and improve people's livelihood. We can all have a positive role to play, so let's work together to build a better society that provides good jobs, prosperity, and stability. The time is now 8.19 a.m. And let's take a quick look at the numbers before we move on to our Focus Friday segment. The Nikkei is up 185 points to 17,791. Australia's ASX uh, index is up half a percent to 5,561. And Seoul's Kospi up uh, three-fifths of a percent to 1,963. In currencies, one euro will buy you 1.13 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is currently trading at 118 yen and one pound sterling is worth 11 Hong Kong dollars and 68 cents. Well, today we'll look at the value of detox. Uh, Now, there are a bunch of detox programs here in Hong Kong, all designed to help you eliminate excess junk, all that junk that your body accumulates over the holiday period. Sounds like a no-brainer, maybe uh, to, to many, but it's not cheap. Or is it? Uh, let's ask our guests. We are joined now by Melanie Barnish, who is the managing director at Genie Juicery, and Zachary Williams, who is the owner of Body Awakening. Good morning. Good morning. morning. So uh, thank you for joining us on uh, Money for Nothing. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, you know, topic. Usually we cover uh, lifestyle uh, issues on some of our other shows, but, you know, What's always interesting is how much does this actually cost and what is the value, the true value that I am going to get. So, Melanie, if we could start with you, can you outline for us what your detox program is and how much it costs? Sure thing. So, uh, Genie Juicery, we have a store in IFC and also an online store. So the price really varies uh, depending on the individual and what they're looking for. We have a complete different range of programs. Um going from delivered to you can go and pick it up and build it yourself at the store. Um, a one-day program is anywhere between 450 to 600 and then we go up to a six-day program. So for three days, it goes up to 1,700, and then up to six days is obviously 3,200. Okay, Zachary, how about uh, your program? Well, our program is... It's powders and capsules predominantly, so it's a cleansing kit. There's nine bottles in there, so there's things like high-dose spirulina, high-dose chlorella, there's things like psyllium seed husk, as well as crushed greens like wheatgrass, barleygrass, alfalfa grass. And what happens is basically, depending on your program, you're doing drinks every hour and a half. Um, So it comes with a manual. If you're on our five-day program, it's a full liquid diet and you're following the schedule, you could be doing intermittent cleansing program. But I think it's also important to remember that it doesn't cost anything to be healthy. And there's this, there's this idea about choice between health is money um, and 
it's it's an expense. But the truth is, you know, being healthy is the cheapest thing you could ever do. But, but the the, how, how much does it actually cost to sign up? For your program, um, our program is a thousand four hundred Hong Kong dollars, which has nine days in there. So it's powders, so it's got an eighteen-month shelf life. So some people might do two days a month; they might do five days. So they use that until it's up. Which a thousand four hundred is a thousand four hundred, sure, but it's probably far cheaper than colon cancer. Exactly. What do you do with your natural diet then? Do you have to change that? Um, we recommend it. Yeah, if you're doing the full program, we suggest you do a pre-cleanse and a post-cleanse because this idea that you can jump into some sort of cleanse and do three, four, five days and then go back to a normal diet, you're not going to get the full benefits. So we give guidance in the manual on pre and post-cleansing. So this is interesting. I mean, I'm looking at the Genie program, which you say mm-hmm. is around 1,700 for three days. Yeah. Or um, you know the body awakening program, which is fourteen hundred for around nine days. Now that is a big difference uh, to me as a consumer. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's something that I'm missing here. There must be a difference between juice and uh, the powders. So, yes. Melanie, you want to go and tell us? Sure thing. So, um, with our program, you get everything that you need for the full three days, and it's all cold pressed, uh, which is a very different um, way of juicing. So we extract all of the nutrients from the fruits and vegetables uh, and all the juice is considered a living juice so the shelf life is very short so um, it's basically just taking in all pure raw fruits and vegetables nuts and we add in all the superfoods like the spirulina and the chia seeds and the psyllium husks as well Um, so you get basically it all delivered and it needs to be refrigerated and it's a a fresh product Now many those of us who have a sweet tooth uh, are all thinking (laughs) what does it taste like (laughs) well the the juice we have a complete where we've got 30 flavors of juices so for the people who have a sweeter tooth and who are new to cleansing we would recommend that they would try a beginner program which has got more fruit um, inside the juices going up to an expert program um, which has got just mainly vegetable juices and we're also doing a fruit free cleanse now as well Um, we made up all of the flavors on our own so of course we love every flavor and and they are you know, all very delicious. Zachary, um, when I look at your program, to me, it sounds like it's cheaper. Um, Is there a difference, uh, you know, in sort of net value to me and my health and sort of my well-being if I have powders as opposed to juices? Well, I mean, I think all cleansing is good and everybody takes different approaches. Our approach is we're using things like um, psyllium seed husk, which is a bulking agent, which will, it sort of expands, which you couldn't leave in a liquid because once you mix it with water, it expands. So it works through your digestive system, kind of like a broom, just kind of sweeping through the colon. Um, So it's... As is high-quality, high-dose organic powders, which you mix into water. So I guess it's a concentrated form, therefore perhaps cheaper than juicing. Um, Zachary, do you have – is your business just online? uh, No, because it's an 18-month shelf life, we sell through retailers. Um, Just Green is is one of our retail partners. We also sell online, um, and then we also sell guided and modified programs because one of the co-founders is a nutritionist. So some people have, like the customized program, where they're handheld over the phone or over email through a design program, but still uses our kit. Because one of the big debates not long ago was, do you sell things online? Do you have a little shop? How do they work with each other? I mean, Melanie, you've got both, haven't you? What, uh, yeah. what do you think? Do you find the 
shop helps you online or vice versa? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously being in IFC, the, the visibility there is massive for us. Um, our IFC store is not just promoting cleansing, but we want to... The reason why we broke into retail is that we wanted to promote uh, everybody you know healthy living for everyone so not just doing cleanses but when you're not on a cleanse you know switching out your coffee for a green juice and um you know just really focusing on health for everyone zachary how many times a year are you suggesting that people do this cleanse is it just nine days during the year well, I mean, everybody comes at it from a different health level and different health goals. A lot of our customers will probably do the five-day program, which is a full liquid diet once a year. But if they already have a cleansing protocol already built into their life, like two days a month or an intermittent fasting program, maybe once every two months, then they can use that kit in that program. Okay. So, Melanie, what are you suggesting? Um like Zachary said, everybody's different, so we, we always encourage people to listen to their body um, and they will know when it is the right time to, to take up a cleanse again. Generally, we have people cleansing once a month uh, or once every couple of months, and we have a lot of people on like a loyalty program where they'll sign up for, say, six months. I mean, it sounds incredible, but it does sound expensive. Yeah. I mean, you know, 1700 uh, multiplied by... 12 if i'm going to do you know three days once a month or you know you know that for that nine days uh, of the body awakening cleanse you know 1400 multiplied by however many times a year (laughs) zachary how is you know you said that uh, it doesn't cost anything to stay healthy what am i missing here Well, I mean, I think from detoxification, we've got to remember that we're detoxifying every second. We're breathing in oxygen, we're breathing out carbon dioxide. That's a form of detoxification. Our liver, our kidney are detoxifying all the time. So these programs that we offer is a way to aid that detoxification process. All right. Uh, Very interesting stuff. And, um, you know, we need to spend a lot more time talking about this, of course, Unfortunately, we are out of time today, so we'll have to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank that you. Is, uh, Thanks a lot. Melanie Barnish, she is the managing director of Genie Juicery, and Zachary Williams, who is the owner of Body Awakening. And here we are at the end of the show, so let's take another quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up 151 points to 17,758. Uh, Australia's ASX index is up three quarters of a percent to uh, 5,572, and Sold's Cospi is up just five points to 1,950. 56. Gold is at $1,260 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $49.13. So, Richard, parting words for the day, for the week. What should we be thinking about? Well, I, I think the markets don't really have an awful lot to go on at the moment. It's going to be two days down, two days up, something like that. Um, looking further out, I'm still waiting to see what excitement is going to happen because of the fall in the oil price. We may well get a few defaults there. Um, but the big thing is it's a great situation to do business. Interest rates are low, inflation's low, labor is cheap. So I think the markets will take that to heart looking in the longer term. So uh, people should be working on their business plans this weekend. I think they should be looking at what they're going to buy <laughs> All right. at the right time. All right, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. That is Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management, our regular Friday co-host. And I'm Renita Malhotrahora, wrapping up uh, Money for Nothing for the day and the week. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast. Today will be mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, with sunny periods during the day, but relatively low visibility. Temperature right now is 
17 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 86%. And here's the news with Samantha Butler. Chinese relatives of those on board flight MH370 say they oppose Malaysia's decision to declare that there are no survivors. Radio Australia's Hui Fantei reports. Chinese family members of the passengers on board Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 have been clinging on to hope that their loved ones are still alive. That is why they were angry when they heard the head of Malaysia's civil aviation department announcing that everyone on board the missing plane is presumed dead. Some relatives had staged a protest outside the Malaysian embassy in Beijing earlier in the day as rumours swirled a statement was imminent. China's foreign affairs ministry has expressed their condolences. Multiple militant attacks in the northern Sinai in Egypt have killed at least 26 people and wounded many others. Most of the dead were members of the security forces who've been fighting Islamist extremists in the region. The BBC's Sebastian Usher reports. The brunt of the attacks was against military and police targets in the provincial capital, El Arish, but other towns were hit as well. A car bomb was set off outside a military base in El Arish, while mortar rounds were fired at other targets, including a police club and several checkpoints.